Hey guys, this is Beth. And this is Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, where we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Well, welcome everyone to this podcast. And today we're going to actually talk about the gospel. We use the term a lot uh, at YEC about using the Enneagram from a gospel centered perspective. Well, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by the word gospel? So I have with me today, my wonderful husband, Jeff McCord. <laughs> You, you just have me for today, Beth, but tomorrow, I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll see how this goes. We'll see. <laughs> and our director of coaching, Adam Breckenridge. Hey, Adam. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Not I mean, How dare was, you say, even <laughs> say that? Like, you're talking to two sixes right now. Like, we, we'll be more loyal <laughs> than you are to us. That's, That's so right. That's I have, right. I have you guys just for today. Um <laughs> Well, welcome everyone. It is early in the morning. We're just getting our coffee in and you can already tell. That's right. <laughs> no, we're going to have lots of fun today because this is such an important topic of everything that we really do here at YEC mm -hmm. because we often say um, that the Enneagram is an amazing tool, which it is. It brings lots of clarity to why we think, feel, and behave in particular ways, but it is the gospel that transforms us. So Jeff and Adam, can you help us to kind of dive into what does this word gospel really mean? Yeah. Well, Bethy, I want to ask you a question before we get, dive in a bit, because it's, it really is important to understand why we exist the way in which we do in our approach to the Enneagram. But uh, very early on, you came to the recognition in your Enneagram studies that the Enneagram, I, I remember you, it's like a non-judgmental friend. Um, that it exposes, but it doesn't heal. Right. Uh, later on, you would say stuff like it's an x-ray. It can help to diagnose a problem, but it can't fix the problem. Right. I mean, what what was it that you were running into about the Enneagram that necessitated the gospel? Yeah, I mean, literally that example of or analogy of it being like an x-ray was exactly what I was running into. I mean, I can go take all of these x-rays of broken hands or a broken foot and know that it's broken, but it doesn't do any healing. And I think a lot of times when, when people approach the Enneagram, they love the fact that they have this clarity and this understanding, but then they have the question of, okay, well now what? And yeah, you could say, well, try harder, but we all know. <laughs> or, or know yourself better. Or know yourself better. Try harder. Try this, that, and the other. And it's like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, hoping that one day it will get better. And what I experienced uh, in that kind of a lifestyle was not only does the Enneagram show me the common pitfalls that I fall into time and time again, and what my healthiest path was. What I realized was, okay, the harder I would try to get out of that common pitfall and into my best, my best uh, path for myself was I was not only in that pitfall, but that pitfall was like quicksand. The harder I tried to fix myself alone, the worse it seemed to get, the more I kept struggling. Um, and the more shame came in, the more self-condemnation came in, the fear, the anxiety, um, it all just compounded. 
until I realized, no, wait a second. Yeah, this is an amazing tool. And it definitely shows us the spectrum of our liabilities, our strengths, our sins, um, our, the gifts that God has given us to, to reflect him. But it can't ever bring me to being more like Christ, which is the healthiest version of who he's created me to be. You know, one of the objections that a lot of Christians have to the Enneagram is that it it, it's more focused on self and just self-awareness. And, you know, the reality is, is that we would 100% agree with that, that yes, an improper use of the Enneagram is just to expose what's happening in our lives without a solution to the problem that we face as humans. And for what we have sought to do uh, is to point people to Jesus Christ using the insights of the Enneagram. Now, there's this interesting dynamic that happens, and uh, Beth and I talk about it often, and Beth even created a wonderful illustration for it, that pursuing healthiness with the Enneagram is like walking upstream, uh, getting closer to uh, deeper and faster water. That There's actually this uh, paradox to it that it, it it doesn't get easier. It does, life doesn't get easier as you're pursuing maturity, but you actually f- start to feel its intensity a little bit more because these inclinations are exposed. Uh, what What is it you're trying to capture with that, Bethy, that, uh, this idea of the stream? Yeah, so like if you look at a stream and at the bottom of the stream where the water is, you know, maybe a couple inches high, you could stand there all day. It's easy, no problem. But if that stream down there is full of sewage, it's going to smell, it's gross. You don't want to be there. No one else wants to be there with you. And that's where we are when we're not where God intends us to be when we're in our sin, when we're in our mess, when we're trying to do things in our own strength. But it's so much kind of quote unquote easier. We just allow ourselves to be. But what's harder is as we walk up that stream, it gets deeper. The water is more forceful. But when you look around, it is so magnificently beautiful and glorious. And you can't help but keep wanting to trudge up there to see more and more of the beauty. And the reason why I bring that analogy up is that when you're walking up a stream and it is getting deeper and the water is a little bit more forceful, it is hard. And everything in your physical body is like, can we just stop? How about, how about we stop and rest? Well, all that's going to do is pull us down the river down to where it was easier. And it's, you know, not pleasant. That's easier but we don't really want to be there. And so what we have to recognize is we have a choice to surrender and depend on the Holy Spirit to help us to walk up this river to where it's glorious and beautiful. And we get to experience the fullness of Christ and all that he has created for us. But it is going to be hard. Mm -hmm. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not wonderful and great. Well, and this is true, uh, even in the scriptures. So um, maybe we've mentioned this before, but this was an insight that we had gained from Jerry Bridges' writing. Um, I can't remember which particular book it was in because we, we read everything of Jerry Bridges. He was such a great mentor to us. But uh, he he highlighted Paul's life, that in Galatians, Paul made this comment about himself that uh, he's the least of the apostles. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, later on in one of his kind of midlife, 
books, he made another comment. I can't remember. I think it may have been Corinthians, but he made the comment that he's the least of God's people. I think they might have been in Ephesians. And then the last thing is that the passage that uh, for many Christians are familiar with mm-hmm. uh, in First uh, Timothy that speaks of that he was the chief of sinners. That he was, he, but notice who he's comparing himself. So he's least of the apostles, least of God's people, mm-hmm. and then the chief of sinners. Well, and if you pause there without any other understanding, you would think that he is just beating himself up. He thinks little of himself. And life is just horrible. And and that is true of using the Enneagram without the truth of the gospel is that it, it will continue to show you areas that you need to fix and that you need to address. And oftentimes in our relationships, those become criticisms of us or beliefs that we hold about ourselves. See, I will never change. Or, you know, for some of the types, they actually will live in denial and say, I don't, this is just who I am. I'm not going to change and I don't want to change. We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. not saying that you shouldn't change like when we see our sins and weaknesses it's we're we're not saying oh well the enneagram is wrong by showing us this and we should just like the gospel is fine in us and we should just be able to carry on as is that's not what we're saying and that's even what paul says we're not saying oh let's sin all the more no that's not at all what we're saying that's right. But the the passage goes on to say not only is Paul the chief of sinners, but the reality is that God wanted to display his unlimited patience for him, for not only him, but also for all who would believe, which is a, a beautiful picture of what it means to come alive to the truth of the gospel, that the very love and acceptance that we are striving for, we already have in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, for this particular episode, we wanted to invite our director of coaching uh, along, uh, Adam Breckenridge, to talk about what is the gospel, um, what do we mean by it in regards to the macro level, the meta narrative of the Bible, but also what does it mean to us specifically in relation to personal salvation, but also what does it mean for sanctification, the Christian life? What does it look like? How does the gospel 
function for us in discipleship, in sanctification, in the life of the believer. So, Adam, uh, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Adam, so you, I, I believe you, you grew up in, uh, to some degree in the church. Um, when was it that you started, or what was the moment that your eyes started to open on the functional centrality of the gospel as it relates to the Christian life? Yeah, that's a great question. So somewhere in my early to mid twenties, I, I hit a wall. Um, I hit a, uh, a, a performance wall and I just, I realized that, uh, I, so like you said, I did grow up in the church and it's not that the gospel was never taught. The gospel was preached and proclaimed, but it was always proclaimed as something for those who are not disciples of Jesus. They need the gospel. Those people need the gospel. And uh, it was this sort of this thing where, to, 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 to reduce it, it was like this thing where you believe it and then you leave it, right? So the gospel was the initial prayer you pray. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a new phrase by Adam Breckenridge, hashtag <laughs> believe it, then leave it. Believe it, <laughs> then leave it. And, and so that's what happened with me, you know, like I, I prayed the prayer. I, I really did trust Christ and believe the gospel, but then sort of the the, the the discipleship model that was sort of taught was, okay, now it's on to the, the mastering the principles of the Christian life. So now it's on to all the obedient stuff. And then you get married and it's about marriage principles and all, all that is true. I mean, the Bible's full of indicatives and commands and um, places where we're supposed to obey God. But to me, it was, it was divorced from the gospel. So what happened was I just, I just fell into the myth of more where it was all on me and I just had to do more. I had to, I had to have more self-awareness. I had to have more, uh, you know, I had to do better. I had to try harder. I had to, you know, white knuckle this. I had to, it's, I had to rely on willpower. And, and that just kind of got me into a place in my early to mid twenties where I was burned out and exhausted. And I got some, some care from a biblical counselor or two who for, for the first time, like introduced me to this, this phrase of gospel centered. I was like, what does that, what does that mean? You know? Uh, and so, but it was just this, this radical idea that was not, it was a very biblical idea, but to me, it was very radical at the time was just that the gospel is never something that you graduate from in the Christian life, but it's something that you only go deeper into. And that revolutionized everything for me. Yeah. I mean, Gosh, as you were saying that, I was just thinking that's exactly what the Enneagram does without the gospel is it just highlights how much you're messing up more and more and more. And in some ways, as a believer, that is important, but we need the gospel to become even deeper and deeper still, meaning that we can fully rest, know, believe, and trust that who we are in Christ is complete mm -hmm. and is safe and it is secure. And it allows us to feel as his beloved. It allows us to, to ask him to transform our heart, that it's, it is him who works in and through us. And then that brings excitement because he delights in changing us. He delights in bringing us closer into uh, representing Christ 
in and through us to others so that not only do we bless others and glorify God, but we get to enjoy the abundant life that he has set before us. Mm. Well, one of the metaphors that I remember that uh, Dan Allender taught in one of uh, my trainings that I did with him was uh, he called, he was speaking of the terrain of the heart as if these strategies to live independently from God and, and people that they have taken over terrain and that by using the story and remembering the truth of who God is for us and the person and work of Jesus Christ now applied to us by his spirit in by and through his word, it, we take back terrain of the heart. Mm. And so that every moment there is an opportunity, there is an invitation for me to embrace something that my father intends for me that is not in that my, although my response may be, I don't want to admit to that. I don't want to address that pain. There are actually moments of invitation for us to experience God's love in a new way that takes back terrain from all of these false strategies and attachments that we have to things in this world. Mm. Well, we want to begin with this because uh, this is really important. Um, and you've heard us speak about it before. Um, we talk a lot about it in our your Enneapath community. Um, and we've talked a lot about it in regards to the origin episodes uh, on our podcast. But uh, that is the meta narrative of scripture, which is vitally important when understanding um, what what is the gospel, um, what is the Christian worldview, but also how we use the Enneagram and how it's different than how the Enneagram has been used in the past. So what do we mean by the meta narrative? Well, first, uh, we speak of creation, how it is that we were made to be in relationship with God, with creation, with others, and with ourselves in the garden, how things were intended to be. Next, we talk about the fall. That is that sin has entered the world and we live, we live as people who are both sinful as well as living in a fallen world that where things are cursed and broken and we long for redemption, which is the third one with uh, redemption. That is what Christ has done to bring about the first fruits of the restoration of all things. And then lastly is restoration. That is uh, the new heavens and the new earth where God will be with his people again, and there will be renewed relationship as it was intended in the beginning. Uh, Adam, how does the biblical meta narrative help to inform our approach to the Enneagram? Well, yeah, it's, I love that you, I love that we're, we're talking about this meta narrative. So, um, you know, we, we talk about how the Bible is really like one, one book with four huge chapters or, or one play with four massive movements is kind of what you're talking about. And, and if, if you, if you really pay attention, that's, that's actually the storyline of everything. Uh, there's not a single novel, comic book, movie. It, 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 everything follows that narrative arc of there's a creation, there's an origin, there's, and there's some sort of essence of goodness. And then the story moves into corruption there's some, something is corrupt, something is broken. There's a protagonist, or I'm sorry, an antagonist or something that enters into the narrative and there's tension and conflict. That's, you know, the fall. And then there's always some seed of promise of redemption, some hope in the story. And, uh, and there's always some protagonist or hero or good guy that 
you find yourself reading about or watching on the screen and you're really rooting for them, right? You like, you want them to win. And it's cause you, cause we long for redemption. Um, and then any story that doesn't end with restoration doesn't feel right to us. Um, so that's why we all long for that happy ending. And that's why Disney is Disney. And like, like everybody loves, you know, this, you know, Adam, it's interesting. You say that I remember talking with uh, Jerry McCorkle of spread truth, tremendous, resources about uh, how the meta never narrative applies to evangelism and the Christian life. But he said in the movie, the natural Remember at the end of the movie, he hits the home run and everything's spectacular and the lights all explode and like fireworks. But the original version of it didn't include him hitting the home run and they had to redo it. Why? Because the audience rejected it. Yeah. Um, because it didn't have the ending. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, in, yeah. in even, but even the, the scene after it is him throwing the ball with his son in the field, mm-hmm. mm. you know, just that full circle of restoration of, oh, relationship. of what was lost. Yeah. yeah. R- relationship. I mean, it, and as you were saying that all I'm like this flood of movies was going through my mind, you know, we've got uh, star Wars and Lord of the Rings oh, and, yeah. um, Shawshank Redemption, like all of these, well, even the Truman Show. I mean, there was yes. this, there was this little sticker and pen that they would have on their clothes. If you zoomed in on it, it says, "How's it going to end?" Yes, mm. uh, we long to see how the problem is going to be worked out. Yes, yeah. and isn't that true yeah. for all of our lives? Uh, yeah. What What is my future? Is there hope? But that yeah. is what <clears throat> is so powerful with the gospel and having the Bible in our hands. We know how it ends, mm. and that brings such relief, excitement, joy, uh, a peace. And it, it, it allows us to look at ourselves as we are in our brokenness and our, and how we glorify God yes. and to embrace all of it because we can rest in the assurance that we, our identity in Christ is secure, that our place at the, the family table is already there and will yeah. always be there. Now, yeah. Bethy, you use the uh, metanar, the biblical storyline, uh, applied to the Enneagram types in our Enneapath community. Mm-hmm. Why don't you share about the, the insights that you were hoping to bring out for those mem- those people who are part of the membership? Yeah, so for those of you that may be new to um, this membership community, it's called Your Enneapath um, dot com. So anyone can go look at it, Your Enneapath dot com. And we have a path laid out for people and how they can grow. And every month they get four new videos that literally take them through a part of how they've been created and their path of growth to becoming who God has created them to be through this meta narrative. So every month we'll take a topic and we'll show you how God intended it to be. So creation So let's say we're talking about your core longing. So how God intended for you to have that core longing and how he met that. But then what happened, the second video is what happened the fall and how that has tainted our passions, desires, how it creates sin and destruction um, through our type. So it's very type specific, but then how Jesus redeemed that in video three for our types and in video four, how he restores that right now in our everyday life. But of course, how we continue to wrestle on this side of heaven with the already, but not yet, how we already have the security in Christ 
And yet we're still on earth that is tainted with sin and how we have to continually come back to God and ask him for that support and guidance and enabling our heart to grow and move. So every month, whatever topic we're taking people through goes through this meta narrative in four videos. And part of why we're making such emphasis of uh, the meta narrative and creation, fall, redemption, restoration is because at each of those levels, the Enneagram um, it it has a need. It falls short of what God is telling us in the scriptures that we we are made in the image of God. Um, we're we're not just these independent creatures, and um, we we have interdependence with God and with others. Uh, and then secondly, the true nature of sin that the the strategies that we have adopted as a weak and wounded humanity. Mm-hmm are are uh, significant in that these are not things that we can just think our way out of. This is now a new disposition of the heart. Um, as Paul says in Romans 3, that the we, we, we don't seek what is good. We don't seek what is right. Uh, we don't seek God apart from the work of his spirit in our lives. Mm-hmm. And thirdly is that uh, redemption doesn't come through insight. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about that, that observation is not transformation. And we, we need a power outside of ourselves. We are made to receive a power outside of ourselves in order to change. And then the ultimate hope that the ultimate hope is not that just you would become a better person. Mm-hmm. Um, the ultimate hope is that we would be, we would live in right relationship with God and one another in creation. Right. <laughs> so so good. It, yes. um, that's where our hearts, uh, Adam, I mean, your experience of coaching and uh, pastoral counseling and ministry you know, how do you see that work playing itself out of the Enneagram kind of coming up short of the biblical meta narrative? I see it all the time in the church. Uh, and here, here's where I see it is if you, if you're in the church and you grew up kind of in a religious context, you know, uh, Keller has that, I don't know if it came from Keller. There's that great line of religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. You know, I, Mm. I, I work to be loved. But the gospel mm-hmm. says I'm accepted because of Jesus and therefore I obey. So I don't like work or obey for love, but from love um, as one who is loved like perfectly by my creator. And so, uh, but what I see in a religious context where you, when you, when you remove the gospel, especially with people who are church people who love the Enneagram <laughs> and there's a lot of us, which is great (laughs) is that there's this high awareness of God's holiness and his goodness and his glory. And then there's this high growing awareness through the Enneagram and through experience. You don't even need the Enneagram Mm -hmm. to tell you this, but this high growing awareness of my defense mechanisms, my emotional relational brokenness, my, these false narratives that I lean into and there's this growing awareness and this gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger between me and God. And I feel worse and worse about myself. And so, right. Uh, and you're probably familiar with the cross chart, right? When yes, the, when it's one the, of our favorite things. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, a, so it's not that God is getting more holy or that we are getting worse. It's just the awareness, the awareness mm-hmm. of God's holiness as a, as a Christian, like that's growing. You know, and and then my awareness of my brokenness or my, you know, uh, all that is growing through through the enneagram, 
So if you don't have, if you do this without the gospel and you don't do this through the lens of, if you don't do life through the lens of the gospel, you're just doomed. Like you're set up to fail from get go. Right. So that's what I've seen uh, a lot just in the, in the pastoral world is, is people feel crushed, you know, by the, by the growing awareness of those two things and the gap. And you stand on one side and you look at the other and you think, how am I ever going to close this gap? How can I ever get to God? How could he ever be okay with me? And the answer is like screaming at us in the gospel through Jesus. You know, Jesus has lived the life we failed to live and died the death we deserve to die. So that by looking to him and trusting in him, we, by grace, uh, through faith are made right with him and he loves us. And when God sees us, you know, I love, I love, I love that the gospel declares to us that something that Enneagram can't tell us, right? The gospel says that in Christ, when God sees you, he doesn't love you just as you are. He loves you just as Jesus is, which is even better, right? So, and of course, yes, he does love you just as you are, but you're in Christ. And so when he sees you, he sees you and feels the same affections toward you, his son or daughter, that he feels toward Christ, his son, which is just, there's, there's no better news than that. And that's why I love what is called the double cure. You know, so there's a double cure that has been applied to us. The first is that Christ took away all of our sins and therefore we have no more debt, but we still are required to be righteous. So, man, it's amazing. There's no more debt, but I don't have any righteousness in it of myself. So I need something, right? I need, I need to fill that gap. But Jesus does that to us. He gives us, he imputes, he credits us his righteousness. And so that when God looks at us, not only does he see that there are no more sins, he sees Jesus's righteousness applied to us. So like you were saying, he loves us and welcomes us based on Jesus Christ's work, which is why Paul is able to say, you know, I am the chief of sinners because he sees more clearly over time truly how sinful his heart is, but that doesn't actually bring him more fear or um, shame. It actually enables his heart to move towards Christ because he sees all that Christ has not only done for him, but is continually doing in in and through him. You guys have transitioned really well because this is the next application of what we mean by being gospel-centered, is that the personal salvation component of this of it, if you put it in the biblical meta-narrative terms, it's redemption. It's what our Heavenly Father has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension on behalf of his people. Um, Adam, why don't you go and explain a little bit about what, what do we mean by the term gospel and what it is that Christ has accomplished for us? Oh, I'd love to. Um, so the word gospel is, is a fascinating word. You know, it, it literally means good news. Who in the world is not longing for some good news? I mean, mm-hmm. this, this is what we're, we're desperate. We're thirsty for good news. And, um, and typically, you know, throughout antiquity, this is a word that's used in the, in the context of a military battle, announcing a military victory. It's fascinating. You can go to first Samuel 31 and when the Philistines defeat Saul and the Israelites, you know, they, they take all of Saul's armor and they run throughout and they're, and and it literally says they're announcing the good news of 
the Philistines victory. That's the word gospel. So mm -hmm. it's, it's throughout antiquity, it's used to announce like a military victory. And so when the New Testament writers apply this to Jesus, think about the explosion, like it's just pregnant with meaning. They're saying yeah. that the, the gospel is the good news announcement that God has rescued us from a real enemy and has reconciled us to himself by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die as a substitute for our sins. And that all who repent and trust in Christ have eternal life in him and with him. That's, that's, the, that's the announcement. That's, that's the good news. That's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about you know, the word gospel. That's what we're getting at. There's a document called the Westminster Confession of Faith and uh, has served as a summary of Christian doctrine for a, a part of the church, not necessarily all of the church. Um, but I, I love this one in the shorter catechism. They had this fantastic summary of the gospel. And they, the question is, what are the benefits of redemption? Yes. Mm -hmm. And these folks put together this incredible answer is that the three benefits are justification, sanctification, and adoption. Mm. And uh, justification, that is being declared righteous before God, not because of anything that we have done, but because of the grace of God in Christ uh, alone. But justification answers the question for us, am I accepted by God? Mm. Like you cannot be more accepted by God than what you are right now through faith in Jesus Christ. Because of his righteousness. Because of his work so to good. us that he has taken the penalty for our sin and he has given us his righteousness. Right. So I am accepted. Uh, the gospel answers this question that we fundamentally have. Number two is adoption. So the way that Paul describes it in Romans chapter eight, that we no longer have to be slaves again to fear, but we've been given the spirit of sonship by which the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are in fact children of God and our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. So it, this idea of adoption speaks of God's love for us, that we are now his children. We have been born of God. We are in his family now. And not only are we accepted, which that would be enough in itself, but that we are delighted in mm -hmm. by God because of what Jesus has done um, and now applied to us by his spirit. Mm -hmm. And the third thing is sanctification. Now, sanctification has two uh, ideas to it. One, we are a sanctified or set apart people by God now being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We have been set apart and declared holy. And sanctification has, that's definitive sanctification, but we also have um, progressive sanctification. That is that we can grow in the Christian life. Mm -hmm. um, the best way that this is summarized, I believe it's in Hebrews chapter 10 that says, he who has made perfect those who are being made holy. Mm. And there's two tensions in that text, uh, made perfect and being made holy. Mm -hmm. uh, and we see this throughout the scriptures is that there's something that has definitively happening and there is something that is progressively occurring and that's why jesus on the cross says it is finished which has a unique grammatical tense to it um, that says it's called it's the perfect tense in greek but it's an already accomplished fact that will have future impact or mm -hmm. fruit in the future. So when Jesus says it is finished, like my work has been done, but now the impact of my work is going to uh, spread. Mm. And so whenever 
these Westminster divines is what they're called. The people who put this document, they said, when we were the benefits of redemption is that I'm sanctified answers the question that I can change mm. that I, it, this is no longer a selfish pursuit uh, led by willpower, white knuckling it or pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but rather God has given me his spirit who not only has set me apart and anointed me and declared me as holy and set apart, but the same spirit will stay with me in my growth. Mm. And the, you know, we know throughout all of our life, there's nothing that we experience in our life in which the Holy Spirit doesn't come to us and say, I am with you. Mm -hmm. And so whether we're using the tool of the Enneagram or it's something being uh, addressed in our marriage or in our parenting or uh, our relationship to money, the spirit is there to remind us of all the things that Christ has taught us so that it's never go work this out with fear in intrepidation, but rather because it's God's, God's spirit is at work in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. It just brings so much hope and joy and peace to our, to our heart. Mm-hmm. It yes. does. Now, but what's interesting, Adam, and you alluded to this earlier, that the God, I mean, I remember Jerry Bridges talking about this in one of his early books, uh, The Discipline of Grace, that we wrongly assumed that the gospel was for the non-believer. And that disciplines or discipleship was for the believer. But that's actually not accurate. And it's a a truncated view of what Jesus accomplished for us is now being applied by the Spirit. Why why don't you speak to that about the functional centrality of the gospel? Yes, yeah. So there's been a, in the last couple decades, uh, a rediscovery of the gospel, which is, you know, how... Tim Keller defines revival. Revival happens when there's a rediscovery of the gospel. And and then more particularly, there's been a a rediscovery of the functional centrality of the gospel, which again, is a a very biblical reality. So when we talk about functional centrality of the gospel, we're really talking about that pattern, that framework you see in the scriptures for how the gospel actually functions. Okay, we call it functional centrality centrality because we're talking about how how does the gospel actually function how does it operate in the life of a christian how does it shape every facet of your life it's not just the entry point it connects to every point and shapes everything and if you look at the way the biblical writers talk about the gospel it's not theoretical it's not just this grand idea or this doctrine of you know, Jesus died for me. That sounds nice. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that now. Just like, what do I tell me how to improve or tell me what, what, tell me how to, where do I need to grow? How do I No, the gospel is not just theoretical. It's functional. Like, so in other words, it's actually at work. The gospel is mm-hmm. actually doing something in you through the power of the Holy spirit. And I love the way Paul says it in Colossians one, six, he, he, he just talks about how, you know, Hey, the, the gospel, he's talking to the church at Colossae, and he says the gospel has, is bearing fruit. You know, the whole world is hearing about how the gospel is growing and bearing fruit in the life of this church, in the lives of these believers. And You know, other passages yeah. that come to mind, it makes me think of one, Paul to the Corinthians, that we extend compassion because mm-hmm. we have received compassion. That's it. Paul to Titus says that the grace of God teaches us to obey all things. The writer of Hebrews, that he disciplines us out of his love. Um, 
John in first John speaks of why do we love? We love because Christ first loved us. I mean, it, it is replete. I mean, the Bible begins with not commands, but what we call the indicative tense. That's it. Because of what Christ has done for us, we get to the imperative or the command. Therefore, we should do the same. Yeah, As the, we have experienced love, we love. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be cute or cliche, but the way it was taught, you know, uh, to me years ago is, you know, you never put the do before the who. Like the, the biblical mm-hmm. pattern is, this is who you are in Christ, therefore do this. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. as God's beloved sons and daughters, put on, you know, like, right. and, and, and sometimes, sometimes when you do see the pattern reversed, um, sometimes you'll see an imperative, you know, hey, do this, live this way. This is the right way to be human. But immediately it'll be anchored in because this is who you are. So the, the do is always anchored in the who flowing out of the who the who is what gives us the power to do the do uh the 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 you imper- sound like a dr seuss now <laughs> i do have three daughters under the age of 10 okay so we're all we're big dr well seuss and also fans. you know ephesians two ten. i love that passage because here you know in ephesians 2 it's really showing you how we you know become a believer through faith by grace alone. And then in 10, we are created, you know, as God's workmanship. And, and Jeff, I remember you teaching me that that word workmanship is really poema, the word poema in the Greek, Mm. which means poem. Like we are God's poem, this beautiful poem, this beautiful artwork, this creativity that he has, but we're created to do good works, not, to be saved in the passage right before it, we were already saved through grace through by faith alone to do good works, to become this beautiful representation of what God has already done in and through us. Well, yes. one thing I remember in seminary that I was floored when this was shared uh, and as many times, and I was just uh, captivated in seminary by understanding the scriptures uh, in a way that they were teaching it. But uh, they ask us the question, what is the introduction to the Ten Commandments? Where, How That's does right. the Ten Commandments begin? And yes. immediately we're like, yeah, well, it begins with the first command. Don't, <laughs> you know, don't, don't worship anything else. I, I'm it. But the reality is that the preamble to the Ten Commandments, before God gets into don't do this, he reminds them that I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. That's it. It begins with what God has done. It always begins that way. Even think about all of the epistles. So all of the letters in the New Testament begin with a statement of what God has done. And then the later chapters are about how to respond to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry, I'm laughing because this is really serious. <laughs> but I was laughing because remember that shirt we were going to create um, at one of the college collegiate ministry projects (laughs) okay so do you remember i I don't remember the guys sir mix a lot was the rapper's name yeah oh i definitely know sir mix a lot (laughs) so i'm I'm really surprised breath is bringing this up hang in there i don't know how we just got from the functional centrality of the gospel to sir (laughs) mix a lot but she's gonna land the plane here in the moment i've never been everyone hang in there you'll 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 never forget this part of the gospel 
But with that song. What, yeah, tell us the name Wait, of the song, Beth. Which song are we talking about, Beth? Yeah, you know what we're talking about. Our audience knows what we're talking uh, about. I like big behinds. <laughs> no. It's I like big butts. I like big butts. And I cannot lie. Okay, so. <laughs> and everyone's Some sitting, of you are starting to sing that song. Everyone is sitting there going, what is happening right now? Yes. No, but th- we were going to create a shirt that said... I like big butts with one T. Yes. Because uh, Paul loved to say butt. But God. But, but God. God. That's right. And that's exactly what it was in that Ephesians passage I was just talking about. Is, so she did it. She brought it back, everybody. Yes. That, was, that was pretty epic from Sir Mix a lot to the Bible to Paul. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but here's the thing. You and I, Jeff, back in 1990, hold on. Let me think. Like, I feel super old right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. 1997. We were in Normal, Illinois when we first went there to do collegiate ministry. And we were starting to go to a church, Christ Church. And our pastor, Dr. Well, at the time, I don't think he was a doctor, but Dr. Robert Smart, Bob Smart. We were, it was such a small church back then when we did our membership. It was just you and I in his office. And here's the thing, guys. We were 23 three years old, 22, 23 years old. So we were really just growing in our faith and wanting to share our faith with others. But we were still really new and understanding all that we're talking about here today. And the reason why I bring this up and the reason why I bring up that song, (laughs) I like big butts, because when we were there, I remember um, Bob speaking about that Ephesians passage. And he was going through how we are dead in our transgressions and sins. And literally... At that moment, there was silence, and then I looked at him because there was this silence, and he was crying, mm-hmm. and he couldn't utter the words but God for quite some time because he was so overwhelmed with the goodness of what but God meant, and I realized in that moment, I'm missing something. I mm. don't understand something that he knows and it was so intriguing to me that it was kind of like I said on this journey of figuring out why was the but God so important to his heart that it welled up with this joy and um, tears and blessing and so guys you'll never forget how but God is so crucial to everything that we do and I think. wonder I, I, you reminded me of that. I think we actually did make the shirt. I think we did. And but I, I need to go and check with the with our the business that we did that designed it. That that may still exist out there. <laughs> I gotta so, have a shirt. I I need a shirt. I got. I got. That, I that's, that's that's the awesome. new merch we're gonna sell. Well, you know, Adam, one of the things too that um, that you've helped us to understand, like there are a lot of metaphors for this idea of the functional centrality of the gospel. You know, you, you speak of it more like it's not a ladder to be climbed, mm-hmm. but it's a hub to be lived out of. Mm-hmm. Yes. What are some of the other metaphors that teachers get at trying to capture this idea of the functional centrality of the gospel? So, I, yeah, rather than just reducing it to like the entry right, you know, into into the Christian life, you know, I've heard it talked about that the gospel is not, we typically think about it like the diving board into the pool of Christianity, right? This is what launches mm-hmm. you into relationship with God, which is not untrue. 
But the reality is the gospel is not the diving board into the pool. The gospel is the pool. Like you mm-hmm. never, you never stop, you know, and I, I love like, you know, Spurgeon had that line of the gospel. He imagined the gospel where it's like, it's deep enough for it's deep enough waters for an elephant to drown in, but it's also shallow enough for an infant to play in. Like mm-hmm. it's everybody's welcome into it. But the point is, you never get out of that pool um, or I've heard it talked about that. The gospel is not the gateway into the Christian life. It's the pathway of the Christian life. And if, if I can, if I can harp on that for one second, I love that the way Paul bookends Romans and uh, Romans one, he talks about how the gospel is the power of God to save us. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he closes in his doxology chapter 16, verse 25 by saying that the gospel is the power of God to strengthen us. So here, here you have it. The gospel saves us. That's the gateway, right, into the Christian life. But also, it's the power of God to strengthen us. So the gospel mm-hmm. is how you get in. It's also how you grow up in the Christian life. It's, it's the strength you need because it services your connection to Jesus. Like, that's the whole point. The gospel is the functional centrality of the gospel is really the relational centrality of the gospel. It's that you now abide in God, and he lives in you, and this is your resources for doing life. So another way I've heard it talked about is, you know, the gospel is, is not a hotel. It's a home. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the gospel is not the introductory class into the school. I love that. The gospel is not a place that you visit, yeah. but it's a place that you live. Mm-hmm. It's a place you I, live. I, That's it. Yes. That's yeah. it, man. That's it. It's not about us figuring it out at the beginning and us figuring out during and us completing at the end, you know, Philippians one, six, he who began a good work that's it in you will complete it in the day of Christ. I mean, it is about God doing the work. It is about Jesus Christ coming. It's about his perfect life, death and resurrection and ascension and saying it is finished. And to be able to fully rest in that, like, I mean, I know people will say, it's kind of like what you're, you're talking about, Adam, is Jeff and I are in Jeff's office right now. And if I were just like, oh my gosh, guys, if we could just be in Jeff's office, there's these amazing fish and we could, you know, look at them and all this stuff. And you're like, you're there. What, why, why are mm. you longing to be where you already are? That's and that's good. the gospel. We constantly are longing for this transformation and growth. And yet we also have it right now. And one of the interesting things, like, uh, Adam, some of the other images that uh, you've spoken of are more like that the the gospel is something like that's elementary to the Christian faith right? versus the entire school of the faith. Uh, Tell us about some of those images as well. Yeah, so I I think it was Grudem, Wayne Grudem, I heard say one time that the gospel is not the introductory class, you know, into the school Mm -hmm. of Christianity. It's not the it's not the basic stuff it's not the introductory class, it's the whole school, you know? And, and so therefore it's not something that you graduate from. It's not like, Hey, you're going to, you know, the gospel is the, is the, is the basic stuff. And then you're going to graduate from that and go on to the real stuff. It is the real stuff. And the the whole point of the Christian life is God's just going to bring you deeper and deeper into it. You know, this thing that angels long to look into, God's just going to bring us deeper and deeper and deeper into this, into this good news of the person and work of Jesus. Um, but also that we have to recognize that we forget 
every right. day, yeah. if not yeah. every hour, if not every yeah. minute, what yeah. is true? We're going to get into that here in just a moment uh, before we yes. end the podcast, because it, yeah. how do we interpret our experience when like the pattern of the Christian life is life, death, resurrection. Mm. And so you're going to experience death again. Mm. And we often have the thought, why haven't I learned this? Mm-hmm. And we, that thought comes from a place of shame that we should have mastered something. That's right. But it's actually normal for the Christian life to come alive to these new aspects of our heart, to be able to put to death these patterns of living independently from God and others in order to come alive to the truth of the gospel in a new way. That's not a place of shame. Mm-hmm. That's the pattern for the Christian life. Well, in fact, Romans 5, 8, that Jesus came while we were sinners. He didn't He didn't get here and go, oh, wait, what? Like, you're still <laughs> sinning? Like, I mean, God is not surprised by your sin. God right. is not disappointed. He's not frustrated. He's also uh, never looking at you and saying, you know what, Adam, this is taking longer than I expected. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he knows. You, you made that so personal. But like, yes. How many of us have thought that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, when, when am I going to exhaust God's grace? Right. But here's the good news. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Right. That means that he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in regards to his love for you, yeah. in regards to his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness. You cannot strain infinite love right. and patience. And, and God is so ruthlessly committed to truth. So this is not a lie. Right. This is not flattery, but God pursues you with an intensity of love and faithfulness and commitment. Mm -hmm. And whenever he says he's going to complete something, he means it. That means that like even your what you perceive as being disappointing to God or not changing, like God is not like he you're right on time. He know he knows your address. He, he can get a hold of you anytime he needs to. That's right. That's right. Because he, he, he promised well, that and, he would be with us. And Jesus Christ right now is actively our advocate yes, that's and right. mediating for us right now. And it's not like he's going, oh, I have to do this again. Like he came knowing he was going to do this every single day because we needed him to. Mm. Oh, man, you got me preaching again. I um, love it. Man, it, it, I, I can't share enough for people to recognize, uh, I mean, we, we enjoy the Enneagram. We really, really do. And we, we study and think about it a lot and try to apply it to various situations. But our end goal, what we are most ultimately passionate about is for each person of each type of the Enneagram to experience the life-changing power of the love and presence of Jesus Christ by his spirit in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it would, um, this, this wouldn't make sense. We wouldn't have as much passion were it not for seeing people transformed by becoming aware of the reality that God really does love them. Right. 
Um, well, Adam, in, any last words before? So we've got a couple other episodes coming up. Uh, one, we're going to be applying the gospel to each type. And then we've got uh, a fantastic interview with an author, John Lynch, uh, and talking about our own lives and memories and stories and how um, the Spirit invites us into understanding these stories in light of the truth of the gospel. But uh, before we head out, uh, Adam, any last words? Yeah, I just, I think we all do have identity amnesia and we forget so easily who God is, what he's done for us in Christ and therefore who we are and how we are to live in light of that. We forget. I think that's why one of the most oft-repeated commands in the scripture is remember, remember, remember. And even the certain symbols and disciplines and rhythms God has called us into as a community, um, all the spiritual disciplines, all that stuff is, is, it's about essentially remembering and keeping us functionally connected to him and our awareness, right. To, 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 to be consciously connected to and aware we are connected literally, but to be consciously connected to and aware of God's presence. And I think, you know, that image of, I've not seen the movie you were talking about, but that image of a father and a son playing catch uh, at the end of the day, like that's what God is constantly calling us back into. And I, it, Adam, it, the, if you've never seen the movie The Natural, I'm not sure you're you American. Need, you need to get in the car and come over here to Nashville, and we're going to watch it tonight. I tell you what, I'll pop <laughs> I'm in. Sorry, I'll, never I'll pop. miss an opportunity to shame Listen. people, folks. Like, <laughs> yeah, we love yeah. Adam, but yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, that's okay because I'll just apply the gospel to the shame I feel right now, and I'll be okay. <laughs> So but God, sorry, so sorry. <laughs> Listen, oh, I'll put on, I'll put on a Sir Mix-a-Lot record, and I'll get in the car and head, head your way. Yes, um, I would love for people. <laughs> what? Your Enneagram coach Beth McCord said that I should listen to Sir Mix-a-Lot. I did not say that. I did say you need to remember, but God. So. Let's just that, let that. Let's, awesome. just, let's just let that be the final word. <laughs> friends, <laughs> friend, <laughs> listeners, friends, you just take that wherever you want to, and if it shows up on uh, social media, um, yeah. uh, we're we're perfectly fine with it. <laughs> I'm done. I've got nothing. I got I'm no done. more. <laughs> All right. Well, for me though, I I am. I am just passionate that each of you guys, and this is why we say at the beginning of each of our episodes, that each person understand themselves with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. And a couple of books that I know have been very helpful for me um, is uh, A Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23 by W. Philip Keller. And then um, recently, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Those two have really captured a lot of what we're talking about here today. And um, I just hope that people will take, you know, some time to really soak up all that God has done in and through them to give them the peace and the assurance that they are beloved. Well, as we always close out our show, the reality is that the Enneagram is not, using the tool the Enneagram is not, just a tool to exercise greater willpower or self-effort. Uh, r- the reality is, is that we change by faith, working itself out in love. And that is that God has loved us first. Therefore, we love. So know this today, that you 
are no less and no more loved than what an infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God who says that he is in love with you. And that can never be shaken. Thanks so much for joining us today.